0: Happy August, Retreat House listeners. I, I, I'm i so glad to be coming to you again this summer, and I hope you're continuing to have a good summer. I continue to be very busy with you know summer orchestra and football camp and family reunions and trips and, and all the things that come along with summer, which are great, good things, just very, 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 very busy. I wanted to re-release a conversation that I had earlier this year with my friend, Joe Saxton, uh, for two reasons. First, I, I want you to know about a conference that she has coming up in this fall, this fall, uh, it's a leadership conference for women called Acer Collective. And well, let me, uh, let me let Joe explain what Acer Collective is.
1: The word ezer is an amazing word, and it's the first word we see God use to specifically describe women. It's generally translated as helper, which is true, it's just that the word helper means so much more. In its original context, um, ezer is a combination of a few words meaning to rescue, to save and to be strong, which is amazing in itself. It's a verb as well as a noun meaning to protect, to surround, to defend and cherish. And although we see it used to describe women there, most of the times we see it used is when God is delivering his people from their enemies. And so in that culture and context, it was actually about the nature of the helping, one who had the power to help. But I think it speaks of this amazing thing when we see God name a woman that way because he's declaring her potential, he's declaring her DNA, he's basically declaring her identity. And so I love using the word in the context of the Azer Collective because it's what God says about us that matters.
0: I loved the time that I had at Azer Collective when I went last fall. It was a beautiful gathering of women from who work in ministry, nonprofit, who work in the business world, who have different spheres of influence. Which is how um, how Joe and then Steph, who's on her with her on the Lead Stories podcast, how they would define leadership as anyone who has influence and wants to be purposeful with it. And the conference that the Aeser Collective that she did was just this beautiful collection of women from different working environments, but also women from different ethnic backgrounds. And it was a really beautiful, beautiful time. And unlike any conference I have attended before. So I wanted to make sure that you know about that. And then the second reason is the conversation that Joe and I have is about grief and I'm coming up on the nine year anniversary of losing my mom. And you know, it just kind of comes up every year and I find myself reevaluating where I am in my grief process. And I think that grief is something while there is a new normal and I, my life did change when my mom died, That doesn't mean that I haven't had happiness or experienced happiness or joy in the last nine years. I certainly have. But I think grief is something that we need to keep talking about and we need to keep creating space for people to continue to grieve and continue to process their losses, even when it's been nine years since they had their loss or even more. So I I guess I, I wanted to share the conversation with Joe because it was it was a really great conversation about walking intentionally through grief and, and how to, yeah, and not really a how-to, actually, just what her experience was like, and we talk, I talked a little bit about my experience, too, with grief, and so I hope, I, you know, summer is busy, but I know that there are still losses that are happening, and so I think it's important to talk about grief. Let's head into my conversation with Joe Saxton. Welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I am so thrilled to have my guest here today. I have my friend Joe Saxton with me. And I first got to, well, I first heard Joe speak at the If Gathering 2015, I think. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Was that the first year? Yeah, that was the first year I was there, yeah. And, um... So I went with my friend Callie, and, who you've heard on the podcast a few weeks ago, and Callie leaned over and she was like, she's from Minnesota. How do we not know her? <laughs> and so we rectified that when we came back into town. And I've just really enjoyed getting to know Joe. And she has a new book out that just launched on January 23rd, which is so good. And I got to be on the launch team and read it early, and it's really good. And when I read it, it just sort of solidified that I really wanted to have Joe on the podcast. So welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you for having me. It's fun. I would, well, maybe I will read. I'm just going to start out by quoting your book right away, okay. Joe. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so her new book is called The Dream of You, and you can find it wherever books are sold. Yeah, you're just so honest in the book and so vulnerable, which is. Fantastic and always transformative. I think, don't you think? When people are honest like that,
1: I think. Uh, well, it's. I mean, thank you for saying that. I. I guess I. I feel like it gives us permission. Mm-hmm. Like w- when you hear someone share from where they're at, and um, and it's kind of no frills and and stuff. I think it just gives us permission, and I think it, it opens takes, the door. Yeah, it opens the door, and I think relationships are not necessarily easier, but they're certainly. It certainly paves a way mm-hmm. when we when we approach life in that way when yeah. we can.
0: Yes. And so when I was reading, I started chapter nine and I'm just going to read a little bit because we're in the series about grief and I just love what you said in this part. So I'm just going to read this a little bit. I've heard that grief is a gift, but I've never enjoyed receiving it. The best I can say is that grief is a medicinal, has medicinal features. Grief has left me numb, staring into a void, desperately wanting to go back in time and unable and unwilling to move forward. Grief has confronted me in predictable moments, such as at anniversaries, at worst, and unexpected times. My tears were not enough to expel the grief, not enough to heal my broken heart. That's just, I think, such a great description of how people have mm. experienced grief, at least what I've been hearing in the series. Yeah. So I would love to hear or have you tell your your grief story and wherever you feel like you mm-hmm. kind of want to start with that.
1: I think um, I think the year I would think on most would probably be two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. Two thousand and eight, but it probably actually started long before, um, and it probably started, yeah, probably a while before. We had moved from we were living in Arizona, where um, we were on staff at a church. Mm-hmm. I was part time because I was having my girls, and so I had my second child and during that time um after having her I had postpartum depression for a few months Mm. or so yeah I can't remember it was a haze Mm -hmm. um so for about maybe about six seven months and and then um had kind of come through the fog of that Mm -hmm. and we and my husband had was basically seconded he um here to the Twin Cities for a year as part of his training okay And so we were coming away from everything that was Mm familiar. So in some ways, there were probably losses that I weren't aware of Mm -hmm. before the year even began. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of this was a new part of the country we'd never been in. We didn't know anybody Mm -hmm. here. We had no, we didn't know, we we certainly didn't know what a Minnesota winter could be like. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Which people coming for the Super Bowl are finding out. Yeah, God bless them. (laughs) God bless you wrap up. <laughs> no, your code is not good enough. Uh, no. <laughs> at all. Um I had no so I think there were already some losses in terms of although I was through the worst of the postpartum depression and in many ways it, it was a restorative time mm-hmm. I I I wasn't at 100% just strength generally. Mm-hmm. Um the fact We still had little Yeah, they it's were cute. still little. Yeah. yeah, they were um yeah they, they were <laughs> my my young my youngest had her first birthday while we were here. Okay. So um yeah so and they're close together yeah 17 months apart 17 months we planned it we just did not know what we were planning (laughs) so there we go Uh, and uh, so there was always that there was already that vulnerability of being away from everybody you knew the Mm -hmm. world that you'd just gotten used to all that kind of stuff and then being here where you knew nobody different home different everything right and but you know we were going to make the best of it Mm -hmm. Um, we didn't really have a choice in the matter so we needed to do what we needed to do to make sure it could happen
2: Mm -hmm.
1: end of um and the plan was we would go to we would be here for a year and then come back to a job in Arizona, and um, and and so we were kind of almost hanging on just that. Okay, we'll do this. We'll get to know. Well, just one winter. You know, just one winter. <laughs> just one. Yeah, just one winter. <laughs> and all of that and so we kind of did the tourist thing you know state fair mm-hmm. went to the zoo or because we're not going to be here again you right, know right, <laughs> we're not right. going to do here again let's make the most <laughs> of this moment and all of that and um and I think um it's like grief was knocking on the door or mm-hmm. the events losses were knocking on the door and we and the first knock was um at the we went home at Christmas went back to Arizona went for a wedding and to hang around and the the landscape we had left was not the same. So um, meetings had happened and they decided to do go in a different direction with a job, all that, all that kind of stuff. And there was no job anymore. And we're like, what? I'm sorry, what now? Yeah. Because we've gone to this place right. as part of the training to come <laughs> back for this thing. <laughs> right, that you're <laughs> now removing. That, that you're now removing without explanation, really. Mm-hmm. And the explanations that were there were kind of bizarre. Um and kind of odd hmm. and and we couldn't quite get to every time you kind of tried to get to the bottom of it, you'd find a whole other world mm-hmm. and and it was presented as nothing personal, it's just not gonna happen. It's like, well, that's fine. I mean that because that's life. Mm-hmm. But there's this whole other side of things that you have to acknowledge that you set into motion that you've now suddenly changed right. without warning based on things that aren't entirely true. Um, that affects your entire family. Entire family. And our visa at the time as well. Oh. Um, Scary. I, and so, yeah, it was, it was weird. It was bewildering. It was confusing. It was utterly confusing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, it, it just felt beyond us. And what the church did, which I'm, I'm thankful for, because, and I think had they, I think they would have done this at the beginning if they'd have thought of it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: was um, they spoke to the bishop, they rearranged, they got a new position. So clearly there was nothing wrong, but I think they just wanted something else. Okay. And so we were kind of seconded to another role
2: mm-hmm. in another
1: church, in the, in the neighborhood, in the community. Um, so it was, it was just odd, strange, but we kind of came back to, um, <laughs> we didn't expect to come back to Minnesota relieved. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You, you went, you um, came back to the winter relieved and just thinking, I don't quite know what's happened. I think we're going to be okay. It was kind of like, oh my gosh, what, I, what was that? It doesn't make sense. It nothing's like what we thought it was going to be, but it's still okay. Mm-hmm. It's still okay. And feeling kind of sobered and bruised by just by the experience of it. Mm-hmm. And we weren't the only ones who were bruised by the experience of it. Other people were on our behalf and it was the beginning of a whole load of things that happened to other people afterwards. We didn't, we were kind of like the four, <laughs> the unfortunate forerunners <laughs> of this situation. And um yeah, it was just, a, it was just very, very strange. And on many, on many levels, it's just a job. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even studies have shown that, um that the loss of a job has the kind of level of bereavement, Mm-hmm. Um, that could be with the loss of a person because so much of you's tied up in it and so right. many things are connected to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes when you go through the loss, like when I went through my losses
0: and then really new grief, yeah, then I could more easily recognize it with other things. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I had a loss here in this position or Absolutely. whatever. Oh, I'm grieving. I didn't know what that was before. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, and um, and it was just a, this surreal moment where we felt shook. I remember feeling um, shaken to my core, but mm-hmm. thinking I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is weird, this is odd, but we've got our kids, we've got my, we're married, we're safe together, we're a unit. Mm-hmm. And no, it's not the way we anticipate, but um, we 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 were part of a church here in White Bear, and they were wonderfully supportive. They wrapped themselves around us. It was great yes. on that level. It was tough, but it was great. Mm-hmm. And um, we'd find a way through. And then, so that was the January and we came back, I don't know, at the end of January. And then the February, um, again, it's winter. So you're just kind of doing winter things. (laughs) And um, I, or it's actually at the beginning of March, I got word that my foster mother had passed away. Mm. And, um, and she was 102.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I
1: mean, she was an incredible woman. We were fostered. um, She was in her 70s. When she fostered us and wow. um, and I was with her from when I was a baby until I was about six. Wow, um, so all the kind of mini baby milestones mm-hmm. she, she was the one for the for all of those right, including starting school, all of that kind mm-hmm. of thing and um although i didn't i didn't see her all the time, but you know I visited her every year when as soon as I was an adult, I would visit her every year. Um, She was in a different part of the country to where I was in London. She was in the Southwest of England. And so I just take a train down, go and see her. She met Chris. um, She met each of the kids, all of that sort of thing. Um, um, My eldest daughter's middle name is after hers, all of that um, because we were still connected. So we we were regularly in contact. We were talking and she was always onto one adventure or another amazing woman. (laughs) Um, And so then I had this jolt um, and and because she was elderly and had been for quite some time, mm-hmm. there had often been these moments where it's like, you know, particularly with the winter, if someone's going to survive that winter and then mm-hmm. she'd rally round and the next year she was doing a computer course or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> um, but it was it, it, it was this kind of inevitable end mm-hmm. that, you'd I mean, obviously you're past 100, you right. know it's coming, but right. she's still my first mother, you know? She's mm-hmm. still my foster mother. And I I was just... And I, and I was it was weird because I was on the phone to another friend and the message came through on my computer, mm. and so I was kind of and I remember saying to my friend I have to go May's dead, and, mm. and hanging up my friend in England and she's like oh my god and she said are you going to be alright and I said I don't know and I and I hung up because I didn't know what else to do, mm-hmm. um and and just feeling like the floor went out from oh. underneath, mm-hmm. um and again. It was normal. It was. But again, I'm not surrounded by anybody I know. Right. In the middle of winter. In the middle with of winter. Littles
0: that are depending on you. And
1: who have met her, but I can't talk. Chris is at class and it's an all day one. And the one thing I know I have to do is my other, my brother. I have two brothers and I was fostered with one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and my other brother and my other sister were in Nigeria. My sister in Nigeria at the time. When my parents split, the children went in different directions. Okay. And I thought I knew the time zone thing. Mm. and he's living in Hong Kong. And I thought the one thing I have to do is make sure I'm the person who tells him he can't, he, I have to tell him. Mm-hmm. And so I am trying to track him down, um, trying to find his phone numbers at work and everything and trying to find, and he works for this huge international company. And I'm like, this is insane. Why did I not have your number before? Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> why did I, had, I not think <laughs> of this before? Why did I not think of this before? And managed to track him down and tell him. And, um, because he would be the only person who would know.
2: Mm-hmm. What it meant,
1: you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. in the same way. Who would get it? Who would get it? Yep. And um, and then and us talking about whether we'd go to the funeral and all that kind of stuff, and both of us thinking, you know, we're both out of the country, right? And um, realizing we're going, but she's not there, mm-hmm. you know, and and it was it was this kind of again, it was this haze of a conversation, and feeling like that was the last right thing I could do by her,
2: mm.
1: you know, um. Mm-hmm and And she had she knew she wasn't gonna live this through this one, so she'd sent her goodbye basically to us both okay, and made sure that we were you know she said you know I, to one of our foster brothers who um who had grown up with to say make sure you you guys specifically say goodbye um and yeah, and it was i mean again it i think that was the beginning of the of the numbness really mm-hmm. because we'd just come back and and then we were knocked down and <laughs> knocked down and right. um and then um and I, I I don't actually remember much of what I did at that point. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was because you're grateful. I'm grateful for her. I'm grateful for her life. And and I didn't really want to talk to anybody about it, really, because I, I mean, I knew a couple of people, but I didn't know them well. We were like acquaintances. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I couldn't risk saying something that wouldn't um, that if they didn't meet it with an appropriate answer I wouldn't be offended by, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember one, one, there was a a woman I used to mentor who emailed me and she said to me, um, because I didn't know who to tell, so I told people I knew in England, and she Mm -hmm. said, you know, the crazy thing is is people think that because they're old that it feels any easier, Mm -hmm. and it never is. And it was just the biggest blessing for someone to say that, you know what I mean, Um, rather than, well, she lived a little, I mean, we know she lived a good long life, Mm -hmm. but... Um, this is, it's still my mother kind of, kind of thing. Well, and
0: not at the, I mean, the finality of it. They're yeah. not at the other end of the phone. Totally. You can't pick up the phone and call We won't, her. this
1: summer when we go back to England, I won't see her kind right. of thing. And, um, and just being struck by the, fin- the, yeah, the finality of that. And then a few weeks later, I had a phone, my sister called and she said to me, she said, hey, dad's calling for you, asking for you, could you call him? And which is bizarre because that we were we hadn't we'd never had a close relationship we'd never mm-hmm. been and close at all it'd been a very difficult relationship in fact and and, and relationships a generous word um, <laughs> but and, and I remember thinking oh I'll call him at some point and I remember thinking you know what I'll just call him now because the ki- the kids are about to nap
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I called him got through to him straight away. Um, and he said Joe is that you and he sobs down the phone and I thought well this is not a conversation I've had with this man before and we end up talking about just the past and all these things and I said I need you to know you're completely released and you're completely free and we're fine and we're Mm -hmm. okay and praying with him and talking with him and which and it was wonderful and surreal all at the same time I bet Um, stunned Um, stunned by it all because I mean I'd met this man three times three times I think um but it, and and it was wonderful and I'd be like okay I'll call you in a couple of weeks and we'll see how you're doing and we mm-hmm. he we knew he'd been ill so we'd sent some money through and and all of that and then um I think it was 2 weeks after that I was back in Arizona at my friend's house um the friend who had been on the phone when um May oh, had mm-hmm. when when I'd heard about May dying um and I saw and I saw the phone my phone went off and I looked and I thought I know who that is and I know what this means mm. and I answer the phone. It's my eldest brother who never ever calls, <laughs> who ever calls. And he said to me, Hey Joe, you know what I'm going to say, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I know. And he said, dad passed away last night and he had a stroke in the night. And, um, and again, it was just this, this is, this is, um, five weeks after May's died. Oh my God. Five weeks after May's died. And, um, so I would have found out about May at the beginning of March. This was the beginning of April and I'm about to do a retreat or something. Um, and I, it, it was just this numb, I think mm-hmm. the numbness began. And, and um, I was very glad I was with my friends <laughs> and who I knew so well. Yeah.
0: The ones that you could really, who
1: I could talk to. Mm-hmm. And, and, but it was the weirdest thing. I remember just the odd things like going into, i the, um, seeing them and they said, how did you sleep last night? And I said, well, I need you to know my dad just died. And and we're all like, what on earth, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and just how surreal it all was. And she was very good with me. And she said, do you still want to do the retreat? And I said, I don't know what else to do all I can do is the next thing mm-hmm. I'm doing. So I can't think not, you, there, I I couldn't think. So I just mm-hmm. kind of went into autopilot at that point. I didn't tell, I think I told one other person um, and and was just on kind of mute.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, I, and I think the reality is I was on mute from that point onwards. You know, I didn't know how to cry about it. I didn't know how to feel about it. Um, I didn't know how to think about it. I was just numb. Mm-hmm. And I used to go um, to the lakes, um, I, Como Lake, mm-hmm. um, and just stare at the ice just uh, every day. Every day I could, when Chris would come back from a class and everything, I'd go for an hour and just stand. It was freezing cold. <laughs> but I, I didn't know what it, it was the only way that I could contain what I was feeling. And it's like my mind was an overload thinking, this has been the worst year ever.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, like... Four months. Yeah, I mean, you were hardly into the year. Yeah,
1: and and thinking, I don't, and all the thoughts in my mind in terms of, I again, I didn't go to that. I didn't go to my father's funeral. My my eldest brother and my sister went, mm-hmm. and um, and thinking, how do I, how do I process all of these things? I haven't processed the first thing with a job change. I haven't processed my foster mother dying. I haven't processed my father dying. Mm-hmm. Um. But, and it's all happening all at once. Mm-hmm. And it's winter and it's cold and it's devastating. And again, there's no one to tell. Right. Right. <laughs> there's no one to tell and no way to explain what is happening and how I feel about what is happening and the numbness mm-hmm. and the strangeness of it all. And there's no way of fun- I didn't. I didn't know how I functioned. I, I just, you know, the kids were still little and they needed me. Mm-hmm. We were still here. I, there wasn't anything else to say, really. I I um, just existed mm-hmm. and existed and went to the lake. Yeah. Um, I remember what, after my
0: mom passed, my boys were four and one. And I had to get up. I had to get out of bed. Yeah. And take care of them. Yeah. And it was... It, I didn't feel like it at the time because I really just wanted to stay in bed. But mm-hmm. it was a saving grace. I had to get out yeah. of bed. I had to take care of them. Yeah. There were so things so. that I had to do.
1: Totally. And it was... And it was... Uh, looking back, it was a... Because I think I would have just walked, i think i'd have just walked the streets for days mm-hmm. in the cold um had I not had to do something mm-hmm. you know um i I remember actually I do remember I at the church we were part of i was um oh that 's right i i was I, I think I joined the worship team or something, and there was singing um well it 's an old now Matt redmond song about blessed be your name mm-hmm. and and um breaking down in the middle of singing it. Mm. And uh, not being able to finish it, and but the people still not knowing why, right? Do you know what I mean? Not because I just couldn't say. I didn't have any words to explain to people what was going on. I could. I it, it it all just felt so heavy, right? And so much, and I and like I had no. I had nothing. I had nothing to. I, I had nothing. Yeah, I had nothing to say. Mm-hmm. I had nothing to say. Well, and it feels probably feels really
0: big too. Like I remember when. Charlie went back. My mom died in August. When Charlie went back to preschool in September, everyone was like, oh, "How was your summer? How was your oh summer?" Gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I was like, "Oh, I'm really sorry." Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, my mom died, and then like, there's this heavy yeah that you're putting on totally. somebody else, and then you feel bad and yeah. So I I yeah I can see why you couldn't
1: like yeah, there was no light-hearted you. way of explaining no. things. no. Like, oh, I mean, it wasn't just died. one thing yeah. either. It was yeah. three huge losses. Yeah, totally, and um. Yeah, I just couldn't. There was no making sense of it, really. No, I mean that's the thing with grief, and it was the first time I'd encountered. I was aware of grief, and I was 34, and it felt too. I just remember feeling too young. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm too young to lose two of my parents. I'm mm-hmm. too. I'm too young. So that I mean my. I mean my father was only 70, and um, yeah. 71, and I just thought I'm too young. That that that's all I had, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and feeling really strange to be in a world where. I would never talk to him again Mm -hmm. and I'd never talk to my foster mother again and that no matter how long it was there would never be an again I think was the thing it just was this endless future of never again right and um I couldn't I couldn't make sense of it couldn't make sense of it that's crazy
0: so what you were saying with all of your losses reminds you me of something you wrote in the next chapter of your book chapter 10 where you said to slow down would mean that you'd have to feel life's losses and mm-hmm. you're scared of those feelings. You're scared those feelings would drown you. There are too many feelings now. There's no time to manage them. You're so you're putting one foot in front of the other and kind of getting past the shock of things. How, how did how did you get to a point where you could stop and deal with with all of those
1: losses? Um you know, I don't know. I, I think there were, a couple, there were a couple of moments. There was one moment that summer I was in um, England speaking at an event and I talked about my foster mother and I talked about my um, dad dying. And I wasn't planning on, it was just, I was, it was actually the testimony of what God had done and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'd mentioned, I think I'd said, it, um, I'd mentioned how she passed away and I'd mentioned how my father had passed away. And people in the congregation gasped.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, they literally just gasped. And I just said, yeah, it's been a tough year. And and I think in some ways it was very healing to hear them gasp mm. because it was like, actually, this is a huge deal. Yeah, validating that it's yeah, big. this is a huge deal. Um, and so that was really helpful and a helpful acknowledgement. And then um, I remember being approached. Uh, actually, I was approached by a, a publisher about writing for the first time. And I remember her saying to me, we were just talking about stuff and she said right I think you've got things to say and I think it'd be wonderful if you'd like to pursue that um but she said I'll I'll wait to hear from you she goes I'll um if you want this you'll get in touch with me and it Mm -hmm. was brilliant because it helped wake me up a little bit Mm -hmm. it helped me it jolted me in a way to say you're still here Mm -hmm. you know you're still here and it went and um you still have a life and function and all that and although we don't know how this journey goes and how long it goes on for you're still here right and you need to acknowledge you're still here that's mm-hmm. really important right and well,
0: have something to offer
1: yeah and um and I think professionally with us not going back to the church we thought we were going to go to and mm-hmm. all these other sorts of things um and at and at that time as well I actually that was it was my hus- husband's job I didn't have a job I, I, so I was kind of working out the what does the pastor's wife look like and mm-hmm. Am I valuable in this context and all these other things and handling with the little ones and um, kind of be, being rebuilt again anyway? I think there was all kinds of things in my identity that it spoke to when I remembered I was still here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, when I remembered uh, that there was I had a voice still and had a purpose still and that this generation have had passed on, but I was still alive. And mm-hmm. what would I what what would i do with my days i think and it was weird because it felt so sobering mm-hmm. but they had died you know um so i think that was one moment and then there was another and it was the i think i was the other thing that hit me both I, and it was these things happening all at once i wish it was i wished it was linear you mm-hmm. know like you had this moment everything was a mess all the time so mm-hmm. you'd have these i'm still here moments and then christmas was horrible absolutely terrible or that whole and and there were no major Christmas memories with either my dad or me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: None beyond the norm. But somehow, there's something about Christmas yeah, and yeah. the firsts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that just um, knocked me like a freight a freight train. And um, and I remember sitting in a in a in a Starbucks, and and it was like no one said anything to me, talked to me, or anything. There wasn't any. No, it was nothing weird going on. But suddenly, feel, feeling again like the floor fell out from underneath me. Mm. And thinking and feeling really vulnerable in the room and alone and overwhelmed by another wave of grief mm. and overwhelmed by another wave of loss and th- and I think packing up my stuff and going home as quickly as possible because I couldn't handle being outside mm-hmm. I couldn't handle being seen or spoken to or anything I said I I, I didn't trust myself I didn't trust what I would how that if I let the floodgates open, mm-hmm. how, what what that would do or or mean or be? So mm-hmm. I just had to run away basically and endure the first
2: mm-hmm.
1: of that. So it was it was just a very weird time and um, and realising it took a long time to give space for the feelings. You know, like you say, Mm -hmm. like when you've got young kids, you're doing what's happening in the moment and their various milestones and job. And we were in a new community, having to get to know new people and new demands. And Mm -hmm. you don't give voice to your own feelings. It's easy not to give voice to your own feelings, and your own needs when Mm -hmm. there are so many others around you. And we were in a a very demanding part of the city with lots of um, challenging issues and stuff and people going through all kinds of lives. Wonderful people, difficult lives. Mm -hmm. And um and so again, it was easy to put it to the side. side, and there were some benefits to that from time to time, and there were some great costs to that from time to time as well, because there wasn't—I wasn't giving myself room for healing, really, mm-hmm. or for being. I think in and being in that place, and and so I think some of it were like the aftershocks would just hit me from time to time. Mm-hmm. They would just—they without warning, without—I never know what would be the thing. Yeah,
0: you said that here and. I've said that probably a thousand times. All those those firsts are hard, but then you kinda steal like you know they're coming. Yeah. Like Christmas is gonna come again yeah. and so you're steeled up. Mm-hmm. But like for me it was I was in the department store my mom wore Chanel number no. five. Mm-hmm. And for some reason I sprayed it on myself and smelled it by oh. myself wow. in the department store mm-hmm. and smelled it and went, Uh oh yeah. <laughs> like Angie, you are alone in the department store.
1: Yeah. Like remembering.
0: Yeah, keep yourself together. Yeah, but those things that are unexpected when we're not ready for it. Yeah,
1: and and I think um, I think as well because because by that point there was a validation in within my own soul about the loss mm-hmm. and about the amount of loss that it helped me. It, it it helped me on one level, but it it hurt on another level because now when when the numbness ends, the pain is still there. Mm-hmm. You know I mean the I think the numbness was a mercy for me for a while. Um, and staring at the lake was a mercy for me a while because I it, cause I felt the cold, the physical cold, so intensely. I didn't have to think about the emotional cold I was feeling mm-hmm. and the emotional numbness. And then, and you know, winter, winter's end. Well, on one level, the winter <laughs> ended, but um, but the internal winter was still there. So I, I think when when the physical elements weren't hitting,
2: mm-hmm. it
1: kind of forced me to feel, and I didn't know. What it would be, I didn't know what I'd be like on the other side. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if there was another side. Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew that my year was marked. I remember watching the year leave and being determined, thinking, "I, I, I, I don't Good riddance. goodbye." I've mm-hmm. uh, only a couple of years I've done that. But um where, where I, deli- I mean, I love New Year, but I waited to see that year depart because mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to see another. I mean, I have seen other years like that, but I didn't want to see another year mm-hmm. like that again. And um, yeah it's it's so easy for things to get buried in the mess i remember at five years after they passed mm-hmm. um feeling different and i don't know what it is about a magical five years i don't know what it what it was but equally i remember when i was doing the audio book for mm-hmm. this and reading it and and um re and when i was doing the edits for the book and rereading the chapters it was really hard to read it was really hard and it's 10 years mm-hmm. it's 10 years and 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 reconnecting with the pain of not and um, not so much the, the losses church wise the church ultimately closed um and went its own way but um and and like i said there were other things that happened to other people after which they frankly made us seem like a lucky escape <laughs> but, um, but but um i think the losing may and um and my dad were uh, again 10 years on thinking you know it's not like i'd expect may to be alive now and yet Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more and more aware of her influence in my life mm-hmm. and the things I'd want her to see and know. Mm-hmm. And or questions? The question? Oh my! Oh my gosh! The questions mm-hmm. I would have asked. And mm-hmm. and I think because of me being in foster care and all these, there aren't many pictures of that time. Mm-hmm. And May made a habit of not taking pictures with her foster kids because she knew that not every child would want anybody to know they were fostered. Mm. And so what she she deliberately didn't get in pictures so that that child would have a story. And if they wanted her to be a secret part of the story, they, they, had, they had the freedom to, which means there are I have maybe one, maybe two pictures um, with her. Okay. I mean, I took some when we were when like with the kids, when they were adults and stuff. But um, but yeah, I think it's it's ju- I think, yeah, when reading through the um, editing the chapter, I remember writing to my editor. This was hard to read. Mm. And and I and it, it wasn't easy to write, but it was hard to read because it's just kind of hitting you again and then reading the audiobook and hearing it, hearing the story again
0: mm-hmm. and um, hearing yourself. Yeah. And, say he- it.
1: and hearing the processing things in my mind and the things that I was mulling over at the time and just how barren and difficult and mm-hmm. empty and numb and cold it was. It was hard. I remember saying, I'm going to need a little break <laughs> for a while. I'm just going to need some time to breathe. Right. And um, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was tough. And that's 10 years. Right. It's 10 years.
0: Well, and I mean, and it it is, it's beautifully vulnerable in the book. So I can understand why it would be hard to go back and, I mean, it's, it's not a journal, but I mean, it is written kind of like that, like your very personal experience Mm -hmm. and process going through that. So, so then after that time, Mm -hmm. you also had another loss of a job that you had here yeah later on that you ended up working here so what was and we, and we talked about recognizing gr- you know after, after having the grief that you had yeah being able to recognize it more later so yeah. what was the grief like with losing that the position that you had
1: I think I wasn't sure what it was going to be mm-hmm. but I decided to go to counseling straight away <laughs> do you know what I mean It was almost like Okay, this is going to be a trip. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and it, it manifests itself in different ways. So I wasn't sleeping. Mm. I had panic attacks every night for six months. Wow. Two or three a night for six months. And I um, ended up in ER. Because, I, <laughs> because not surprisingly, I had heart palpitations. Right. And they lasted for a few days. And, I, and I, for the first while, I was ignoring them. and. Um, I remember thinking at the third day I probably should call the doctor and I called the doctor and I said hey I've been having these heart palpitations should I come in and he's like now <laughs> <laughs> and he said we and then he caught, got back and said I can't we they, we can't fit you in so we need you to go to ER immediately and um just tell Which, them mm-hmm. that and I and again I wasn't like I'm like all right then no, no, well, I'll go in and um mm-hmm. and so I went in and my mother-in-law was with me actually because she was over for the time so she drove me in and I sat there and I told them again I'm having heart palpitations three days and like, everything, everything stops. Right. Everything stops. And everyone's like, anyway, you need to go in right now. Cause mm-hmm. you know, you go to urgent care, you could be there or actually it was urgent care, not ER. I, I, you can be there for ages before you get seen. And it's right. like, I'm
2: right, <laughs> like, exactly. whizzed in straight away.
1: <laughs> and it wasn't until I had all the kind of, I'm in the gown and I've got everything tagged and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, all, the all the monitors, all the monitors thing, sticker things, 14, I think I counted. And, um, and, I, and I'm and i on my own in this cold room
2: mm-hmm.
1: and realizing again, thinking, Hmm. Do you, do you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. um, it was a kind of numbness in a different way. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor said, Hey, have you been sleeping recently? And I and I said to him, I did in February and he mm-hmm. looked at me and he said, Mr. Saxton, it's October. He said, I think that's why you're having heart palpitations. And he said, we can check other things. But I, he said, I think that's where we need to start. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm not afraid of grieving mm-hmm. as such um I don't enjoy it I don't enjoy it but I think it's made I think this time around it made me and and again there were other losses you know there are there are other losses of friendships and mm-hmm. expectations and right. all those other sorts of things in a world in which you're in but I I think the challenging well I don't know whether it was a challenging part but I think there there was the kind of you just have to engage with this and I was engaging Mm -hmm. and I think partly because I was engaged and I just had to acknowledge what my body was doing in the midst of the engaging right 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 you know what I mean it wasn't Um, numb it was the opposite of numb it it was (laughs) absolutely not numb Mm -hmm. um really would have loved a little bit of numbness (laughs) here and there and that would have at least made sleeping kind of easier Mm -hmm. but um but I I mean I mean you grieve because things matter
2: Right, right. You
1: grieve because people matter. You grieve because mm-hmm. life matters, mm-hmm. and gifts and opportunities and fun and all these other things matter. And I don't want the kind of life which is so sterile and so disengaged from things that matter that nothing affects you. I hate the fact that things affect me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but but I equally wouldn't want a life that was so disengaged and so disembodied right. that you'd never love anything, right, or love anyone, right, and and that nothing would ever matter to you, mm-hmm. and um. I think because I recognized my body was giving voice to things that I needed more, I needed to articulate more fully. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, some of the other things that were happening, I, I turned 40 that year and it, I, I didn't feel like, oh, you're aging. But I tell you what I did feel, I felt the losses of being away from my family more at 40, mm-hmm. more after 10 years than I did at two or three. Hmm. Um in a different way, you know um you feel the the loss of friendships in certain ways in um One whole after decade
0: I mean, that, but a decade that's like babies coming
1: exactly. my dif- nephews and my niece had grown up mm-hmm. you know, and i couldn't get that childhood mm-hmm. back and i'm I'm close to them, but i couldn't be there in the same way and The elders in my family were much older mm-hmm. by that point, and um you know some had passed on and um you know, uh, the time we had together was fun, but it never felt like it was enough. Mm-hmm. And we weren't going back now. England wasn't the same. I didn't recognize it in the same way. And the kids were growing up and this was their world. And, and our lives weren't about us. You know, mm-hmm. they were about other things and, our, and raising this family. And we were, we were where we were called and where we felt called to raise our children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was all, that, that was already there. And so to have all of that and then have such a transition and think, wow, I know I'm called here, but what on earth is going on? right um and and saying, Well, Lord, all I can do is surrender to you in the valley mm-hmm. you know and um and I remember looking at Ezekiel and ezekiel thirty seven and the valley of dry bones, mm. and you know i 'd in, in earlier years i 'd always looked at the whole thing about the bones coming to life i 'd never looked at the state of the death, mm. and I think this time I spent more time looking at the state of the death mm-hmm. you know to, to that there are he 's looking at this community that has had all of this loss upon loss upon loss upon loss. And um, and I think I was looking at a season of life where there was loss upon loss, not just because of what happened that year, but because I'd still lost my dad, and I'd still mm-hmm. lost my foster mother, and I'd still had this journey which 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 wasn't what I expected, and I'd picked myself up and carried on, and then you you and then you keep on doing that, but at some point you have to give voice to the things which are going on, and mm-hmm. and you can't control that always.
0: No, and don't you think you go back sometimes? Like you can feel like you've dealt with it the best that mm. you can. And a few years will pass and you'll go right back there. Oh, absolutely. And then
1: go down to the next layer and totally. deal
0: with it in a different
1: and, way. And it's not even that you're necessarily in denial. It literally is like layers of an onion. Mm-hmm. It's just certain things connect with certain things. So, right. how I felt, so for example, being in foster care was a wonderful experience. But when, my ch- when I held a baby in my arms,
2: mm. when I
1: held my own daughter in my arms, there was a collision mm. that I could not prepare myself for. And um, with my firstborn, we were told we were having a boy. Okay. so I'd kind of kind of come and then holding a girl which is I was more than happy with I didn't I, I was like healthy I'm good mm-hmm. but holding a girl I never thought about then being fostered because I was having a boy mm.
2: I would
1: never processed being fostered and what it would mean for me as a mum because I was having a boy and then holding a girl and it being like one of these moments like you see on TV where someone has this kind of flashback and right. all these things and it's suddenly mm-hmm. there was this collision of my past my present and my future all in one moment as I held her in my arms mm-hmm. um now that wouldn't have happened in my twenties because I didn't need to, and it, and and it didn't happen when I, it didn't happen in my teens because it didn't need to. There were other things, mm-hmm. and it couldn't have happened until I held her in my arms. Right, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't that I was pretending or in denial. It just, you it know, wasn't the time. It wasn't the time, and it mm-hmm. wasn't. It it wasn't in some ways relevant. It mm-hmm. was There was a different lens on the same situation that you have in different aspects of your life. Right, you know. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Well, what I have a pre- because I got to know you. Or I met you shortly after you had this job loss. Mm -hmm. And what I have appreciated about watching you process it and go through it is how purposeful you were in, in being like Christ. And I think I've heard you acknowledge, not always.
1: Like, I was going to say, that's very kind of you. <laughs> not always. And you were not present at my lesser moments. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or in my head. That's what I always mean, Like, you have yeah. no
0: idea what's going on
1: in my head.
0: <laughs> but, but really seeking him and seeking to to step into situations and engage with people or refer to people or talk about people in the way that that, that Jesus would have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, in times that you had been hurt, and you know, I've seen you be very pastoral and very loving in difficult situations. Which, you know, they say that a trial brings out who somebody really is, mm. which isn't
1: always fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, about what's in our heads, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: but what I appreciated is that I felt like I was, I, I when I started to get to know you, you were kind of at this low. Place, But I got to see this really beautiful way that you were walking through it. And that spoke to me in so many ways. And and, in thinking about dealing with people and how am I going to, you know, if I'm having a struggle with someone or whatever, how am I going to deal with it? And I've thought back to the way that I've seen you do it. So I appreciate that.
1: Thank you. It, yeah. I, I think that I think I'm I'm learning and still learning is, you know, with when it's the grief and the bereavement of a person, mm-hmm. I think we as a community know uh, there are ways to. you. Know, I think people think of you in a different way, don't they? They're, mm-hmm. they're aware you've lost someone. They're aware it's significant and all that kind of thing. I think it's harder for us to help someone process the loss of expectations. Mm hmm the loss of a job, a broken marriage, mm-hmm. a broken engagement, a, right. um, Or like the, a miscarriage. A misca- oh my gosh, yeah. a miscarriage or a diagnosis mm-hmm. um, prolonged infertility. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's I think those moments are a real challenge for us to work out how do we serve people best in those moments? Mm-hmm. How do we love people best in those moments? After how do had- we acknowledge the grief in those moments? Right. Sorry.
0: No, after I had my first miscarriage, one of my pastors said to me, it's not just this loss of life it's all the hopes and dreams that you had
1: for this life Mm -hmm. that you've lost. And I just (laughs) lost it because that was exactly it. Mm. And it's a wonderful way to put it because it articulates, he articulated so much of what is true, but we don't often have the chance to give voice to. So it's beautiful that he was able to see that and frame it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. For you and, and, and I think we're used to bereavement groups for, uh, or grief loss groups for the loss of people. Mm-hmm. But I'm, not, I'm aware that those groups are also for the other losses as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, but I wonder whether we give voice to the fact that those losses are, that it's grief. That even your anger or the highs and lows of it all are mm-hmm. actually an expression of your grief.
0: Right. Or if we give people, not only give ourselves space, but give, give mm-hmm. other people space yeah. to be able to walk through that.
1: Yeah. And I think in the time in the trials that have, you know, which are we've all had and we all mm-hmm. continue to have when whether there's little losses or the big losses. I think I'm just continually learning how to make how to give give voice to where I'm at mm-hmm. and give room for God to do things. Now, when I was numbed by the deaths of people, I literally me breathing was God. I I mean, I had no words for prayer. There was nothing else. Mm -hmm. And some of our losses are like that. But when the moment comes, when I can say something six months down the line or whatever, I think for me, it was God. I I used to just say, God, come and get me, Mm. come and get me. I don't, I don't, I don't have Mm -hmm. anything else or God. I'm just going to say some stuff now because I need to get it out. But I, I I don't even know whether it's good, right, bad or ugly. But if, if this stays in and festers, Mm -hmm. I know it's going to be... Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If this stays right. in, right. if I don't give voice to the reality and the truth of what mm-hmm. I'm feeling, I don't want to indulge it. I just want to process it. Mm-hmm. It's. I, I want the wave to be an, e- an ebb and a flow rather than this stagnant pond. Right. Um,
0: when we were going through infertility, I had a friend that was walking closely with me mm-hmm. through it. And I said to her, what do you do when you're so angry? When you're so angry at God that it is not happening? Yeah. And she said, I'd tell him. Yeah. And I was like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: what? I mean, I was preparing myself to kind of like cut and run like this is yeah. this is too hard and i loved that she brought me back to no 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 yeah
1: this is a relationship yeah and and he's big enough mm. and can handle it absolutely and we see in the psalms don't we so much lament mm-hmm. we see in the in the bible so much lament we see jesus lament when he weeps over jerusalem we see these psalms of lament that we which give voice to the intensity of human emotion mm-hmm. and um and the and the the thoughts where we're like, "Oh Lord, that you would slay the wicked" and all that kind of stuff, and all, because you need those journeys, and I think if I think what we, we would do well to do is give people room for lament,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because it's it's a God-given gift and a process to help us on our journey. Right. Um, but when you don't give room for lament. And we say, oh, and we minimise something, or we mm-hmm. try and sweep over it because we want them to feel happy. Right. And sometimes we do the wrong thing with good intentions, don't we? We want mm-hmm. people to get past things, get over it. We want them to bring them back to a joy place, a joy fused life, or something. We want to bring them to a happy place, and not a superficial place, but a genuinely joy filled one. Right. Sometimes our ways of doing that, we don't realise that that lament will get them there. Right. That that actually that valley is the way to the mountain top. Mm-hmm. Rather than, oh, just bounce up. (laughs) Yeah, bounce (laughs) up. Um, Yeah. Or like what you're saying about stagnant water. Yeah. Like, let it flow. Like, let the water
2: flow. You got to. I think
1: we've got to. Um, I I think he would have us do that. I mean, the Bible talks about him storing our tears in a bottle.
2: Mm.
1: And and about him carrying our griefs and carrying our sorrows. And I think in all my seasons of grief, um, big losses or small, um, that has been a comfort that God has been willing to carry it. And he... And he went to great lengths so he could. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's an important thing.
0: That is. So acknowledging that there are different kinds of losses and people de- grieve differently, is there any kind of advice that you would offer to someone who's either walking through grief himself or trying to walk alongside somebody
1: who's grieving? Oh, you know, the thing is, I don't feel like an expert on that sort of thing. Um, for someone grieving themselves, I would... I mean, I'd say I'm sorry for your loss, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say it's okay to take things one day at a time, one second at a time, one minute at a time. I would ask them if there's anybody they feel able to walk with. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say not to be afraid of of people like counsellors and things like that if that's what you need mm-hmm. and to pay attention to what your body's doing. Mm-hmm. I, I would say those things. Um, that's a, But equally, I say that with the caveat knowing that that's a lot to ask in the middle of grief, right? You know, I I couldn't think. Mm -hmm. And it took me a few years to remember
2: 2008.
1: Mm. I mean, mean, that's the reality. Mm -hmm. And I remember most things. I've got one of those really weird photographic memories (laughs) that remembers what people were wearing and the shoes they had. I mean, Mm -hmm. foolish stuff, you know, foolish stuff that no one needs to remember. Mm -hmm. I remember. But 2008, I don't remember much. I don't remember much. Um, So, so on one level, it, the caveat is if you can, mm-hmm. if you're able. Or
0: like, be gentle with yourself. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Oh, my give gosh. Give yourself grace. Yeah. And, and um, that may be all that we can do. And I'd say for mm-hmm. those watching someone through that, 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 what does it look like to give that person grace and to observe them? Mm-hmm. And, um, because they're going to be discovering a new normal mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. And uh, in the light of that, you may need to find a new normal in relating with them. Oh, that's good and, uh, and do, you, do you know what I mean yep, are yeah. we able to meet people yep. at their new normal mm-hmm. and who they've become mm-hmm. because, um, of, because what they've of what they've e- yeah, that's encountered and endured and stuff and uh, do we have the flexibility and um, when their theology is shaped mm-hmm. by you know fused by their suffering and all those kinds mm-hmm. of things and when their get up and go has got up and gone mm-hmm. are you still can you be there mm-hmm. can do we can we give room for that person to be who they who they become
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um, because I think um, we have a God of the long view, but if we have a set time frame mm-hmm. on when someone's got to be past something, or surely it's not as bad as that, or surely they'll be okay. Like for I think for example, like if someone has lost a child or had a, had a miscarriage and then they have another one,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that are we willing to give them room to still grieve that child they lost? Mm-hmm. You know, and to, no. rather than well, the good news is you've got a new kid now. That doesn't mean you're not gonna. It's not a replacement. It's not. A, it's it's not like that. No. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one of my friends a roommate of mine lost her husband very suddenly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we, we were both pregnant with our daughters at the time. And he had one of these one in a million diseases. I mean, ju- and within he was sneezing one day, he died the next. I mean, it was just, and she's six months pregnant. And she said, one of the things that was real help for her for her to realize over the years was that people would say they'd never tire of hearing her story. Mm. You know that it's okay. You know, if 10 years down the line, you're still, you want to shout about this. We're mm-hmm. here 15 mm-hmm. down the years down the line. Um, you're married again and you still need to, t- still yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's a way, if we can be that for people, I think that's an important thing. Mm-hmm. And rather and rather than feel like, I, I know for me, there are moments where I feel I'm past things or I've come to a new place and then you feel like you've regressed. And right. I'm not even sure, it is. I'm not sure, it feels like it's a regression. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it is. And you're back to where you were. Um, it, for those around us, it requires, the willingness to validate that rather than think, Oh, you've gone backwards. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, if only grief was linear, right. if only yeah. We'd have a it's timeline. Yeah. We get oh. it done. We get it fixed. i would be like, okay, <laughs> okay, five years are going to suck. Sixth year, have a party. That right. would be glorious. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is because we live life lost upon loss, things are triggered, aren't they? Right. Exactly.
0: Thank you so much Thank for you. coming and sharing your story and being on here. And I will put, um, the link for the book and joe thank you and all your media handles are at joe saxton Saxton,
1: yeah okay just kept it basic
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) kept it easy (laughs) so i'll put all those in the show notes so people can look at those so thank you so much for being here joe i appreciate it thank you for listening to the retreat house podcast any links mentioned in the show can be found in the show notes we want to thank isaac turley for his music at the beginning and end of the podcast If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and we'll see you next week on the Retreat House podcast.